everyone. This is Jeffrey Kerr. It's a brand new year. 2020 is now officially behind us with the coronavirus vaccines coming in. Let's hope this global pandemic will be over as soon as possible. Though until then, we should all be patient. For my first order of business for 2021, I'm back with another installment of the News of the Month series on the Care Reviews podcast. This is where I talk about a few different entertainment news stories that feel important and or interesting to me. Each of the stories you'll be hearing me talk about have been divided into four separate categories. The first set of news stories is about the Oscars. The pandemic may not be over yet, but the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences are still moving forward with this year's Oscars. Though they'll be taking place on April 25th, so they still got plenty of time to figure out what the show will end up looking like by then. Last month, a trio of producers for the 93rd Academy Awards telecast were announced. In fact, this will actually be the first Oscars since 1985, which recognized the films of 1984, that will have more than two people producing the telecast. Among them are Jesse Collins, Stacey Scher, and Steven Soderbergh. They each have different backgrounds that might come in handy for this job. Jesse Collins received a Primetime Emmy nomination for co-producing the 2019 Grammy Awards telecast. He's also produced other awards telecasts, such as the BET and Soul Train Awards. Not to mention that these next few months are actually going to be quite busy for Jesse, as he will not only be producing the Oscars, but also this year's Grammy Awards telecasts, as well as the Super Bowl halftime show. Stacey Scher is a prolific producer of both movies and TV shows. She's earned two Oscar nominations herself for 2000's Aaron Brockovich and 2012's Django Unchained, and was most recently Emmy-nominated as an executive producer of the FX miniseries Mrs. America. Meanwhile, Steven Soderbergh is a very prolific filmmaker, having won an Oscar himself for directing 2000's Traffic, though he also made 2011's Contagion, which received renewed popularity last year because of the COVID-19 crisis, as that movie dealt with a pandemic. While we're gonna have to wait a few more months for this year's Oscars, I'll be very interested in seeing what these producers will come up with for the telecast. This next news story is about Warner Brothers. When I had Ron Fassler on the show back in May of last year, one of the stories he and I discussed was about the Motion Picture Academy's recent announcement at the time of how this year's Oscars are going to allow streaming films to compete, but only on the condition that they were originally planning to be released theatrically. And this was an interesting point he brought up during our conversation. I think we're heading to the day where there will be a movie opening like a James Bond film, and you will be able to watch it at home that night. But they have to figure out what it costs. $30 is, sounds right, but it might be too expensive. But then again, you invite seven friends over and then they're losing, you know, all of that admission money. I don't know. You got piracy to deal with and everything else. It's a sticky issue. But we'll, we'll be there one day. One day, movies will be released and you'll watch them the same day. I think. And what do you know? Just last month, Warner Brothers announced that for their upcoming slate of movies, they're planning to continue releasing each of them in theaters worldwide while also giving them an exclusive one-month period on HBO Max, which they've kind of already started doing with the recent release of Wonder Woman 1984, which is currently on the streaming platform before going out to premium video on demand. 
Though this announcement has raised a lot of concerns from cinephiles everywhere, they've been wondering if any other studios are going to end up doing something similar. As of now, nothing has been revealed other than Disney's upcoming animated feature film, Raya and the Last Dragon, will be released on Disney Plus with premiere access the same day as its theatrical release on March 5th. Though people have been wondering what this could potentially mean for the future of movie theaters. While he was promoting his latest film, News of the World, in a recent interview with Collider, Tom Hanks talked about the impact this year has had on the industry in light of Warner Brothers' recent announcement. He said, A sea change was due anyway. It was coming. Will movie theaters still exist? Absolutely, they will. In some ways, I think the exhibitors, once they're up and open, are going to have the freedom of choice of what movies they're going to play. Big event motion pictures are going to rule the day at the cinemas. News of the World might be the last adult movie about people saying interesting things that's going to play on a big screen somewhere. Because after this, in order to guarantee that people show up again, we're going to have the Marvel Universe and all sorts of franchises. You want to see them writ large because watching them at home on your couch actually might diminish them somehow in their visual punch. But the sea change that has been brought by COVID-19 has been a slow train coming. I think there will be an awful lot of movies that will only be streamed, and I think it will be fine to see them that way because they will actually be built and made and constructed for somebody's pretty good widescreen TV at their home. I think Hanks made some very valid points in that interview, and he'll likely end up being right. If that change does happen, let's hope we can be able to have our cake and eat it too when it comes to where we should watch movies, at home or in a theater. This next news story regards some very juicy casting. Back in April of 2020, a biographical film about Whitney Houston titled I Wanna Dance With Somebody was announced. The movie is being written and produced by Anthony McCartan and is set to be directed by Stella Maggie, who most recently helmed The Photograph. Last month, it was announced that Naomi Aki, who in 2019 had a small supporting part in Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, has been cast in the coveted role of Whitney Houston. While it is currently unknown right now whether or not she'll be doing her own singing like Taron Edgerton in Rocket Man, or pretty much being backed up by the real Whitney Houston like how Rami Malek was by the real Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody, I have a feeling it's going to be the latter, but we'll see. Though with McCartan writing the script, then Aggie will be sure to get some Oscar buzz because this is a guy who has written several high-profile biographical films within this past decade. 2014's The Theory of Everything, which won Eddie Redmayne a Best Actor Oscar for his performance as Stephen Hawking. 2017's Darkest Hour, which won Gary Oldman a Best Actor Oscar for his performance as Winston Churchill. 2018's Bohemian Rhapsody, which won Rami Malek a Best Actor Oscar for his performance as Freddie Mercury. And 2019's The Two Popes, which earned Oscar nominations for Jonathan Price and Anthony Hopkins for their performances as Pope Francis and Pope Benedict, respectively. Whether or not Naomi Aki will end up getting nominated, let alone win for her performance as Whitney Houston, only time will tell. For our final subject, I'd like to take this moment to remember three industry veterans we've lost within this past month. Legendary actress, dancer, and choreographer Anne Ranking died in her sleep on December 12, 2020 at the age of 71. 
After having moved to New York when she was 18 years old, her first major credit was in the ensemble of the second national tour of Fiddler on the Roof. In the following years, Anne Ranking went on to appear in the course of Broadway productions of Cabaret, Coco, Wild and Wonderful, and Pippin, which was where she first met director-choreographer Bob Fosse, who became her romantic partner of six years while she became his muse. In 1974, Ranking earned her first principal role on Broadway when she appeared alongside Mary Lou Henner, John Travolta, Treats Williams, and Samuel E. Wright in a musical with a score by the Sherman Brothers titled Over Here, before going on to star as Joan of Arc opposite Joel Grey in the musical Good Time Charlie, for which she received her first Tony Award nomination. Since then, she got to replace Donna McKechnie as Cassie, as well as Gwen Verdon as Roxy Hart in the original productions of A Chorus Line and Chicago, respectively, before receiving a second Tony nomination in 1978 for the Bob Fosse review Dancin'. Anne Ranking also went on to play prominent roles in three major motion pictures, Bob Fosse's All That's Jazz in 1979, John Huston's Annie in 1982, and Blake Edwards's Mickey and Maud in 1984. Her final two appearances on Broadway were in shows she was also very involved with behind the scenes. In 1996, Anne Ranking opened in what would go on to become the longest-running revival in Broadway history, Roxy Hart in Chicago, which she also choreographed. In 1999, she co-directed with Richard Maltby Jr. a Tony Award-winning review titled Fosse, which Ranking herself went on to appear in on three separate occasions. Actress Margaret Qualley earned a Primetime Emmy Award nomination for playing Anne Ranking in the 2019 FX miniseries Fosse Verdon. My condolences go out to all of her family. Three-time Tony-nominated actress Rebecca Luker died of ALS on December 23, 2020, at the age of 59. After having made her Broadway debut in the original cast of The Phantom of the Opera, she went on to get more prominent roles as Lily in The Secret Garden, Magnolia in Showboat, Maria in The Sound of Music, Marion Peru in The Music Man, and Winifred Banks in Mary Poppins. Her final appearance on the main stem was when she filled in for Judy Kuhn as Helen Bechtel in Fun Home for almost two months in the spring of 2016. I myself especially mourn this loss because on November 12, 2016, she came to my area to perform a concert at the Garner Performing Arts Center. Prior to that, I was able to interview her for Broadway World via email, which ended up being one of my proudest accomplishments as a journalist. For those who are interested in reading that interview, I've provided a link to it in the episode notes. I did get to attend Rebecca's concert. Either before the show or during intermission, I had met with the then-president of the Garner Chamber of Commerce, Neil Padgett, and he asked me if I would like to meet her after the performance. At that moment, I knew I had no reason not to. So after the show, I waited to meet Rebecca in the lobby. I remember when she came up to me and really could not have been more generous. She was signing my program while I was introducing myself. Then Neil quickly came by to let her know that I was the guy who interviewed her for Broadway World. And her response was like, oh, that was you? In fact, if you follow me on Twitter and or Instagram at Jeffrey Care, you can see that my current profile picture in both accounts is of me with Rebecca Luger in the lobby of the Garner Performing Arts. Center. 
After word got out about her passing, three-time Tony-nominated actor Mark Kudish shared some photo memories on Twitter and asked his followers if they also had any themselves. I shared my aforementioned picture, which not only received a like from Mark but also from Tony-nominated actress Melissa Errico and Broadway DJ Seth Rudetsky. My condolences go out to Rebecca's family, especially her husband, actor Danny Burstein. Actress Dawn Wells died of COVID-19 on December 30th, 2020, at the age of 82. She was best remembered for her role as Marianne on the classic 1960s sitcom Gilligan's Island. While that show was only a moderate hit when it was originally on the air, it went on to become much more successful through reruns on syndication in the years since. I remember first discovering Gilligan's Island when reruns aired during the Nick at Night's programming block on Nickelodeon from 2000 to 2001. Dawn Wells also actually appeared on Broadway once in the early 1980s when she took over for Lorna Luft in this musical by Neil Simon, Marvin Hamlish, and Carol Bayer Sager. Titled "They're Playing Our Song." Now, Tina Louise, A.K.A. Ginger, is the lone survivor of the Gilligan's Island cast, which is kind of funny because in the recently released Netflix movie *The Prom*, Nicole Kidman's character is a Broadway performer who's been in the ensemble of Chicago for 20 years, yet hasn't been able to go on as Roxy Hart. In the beginning of the film, she mentions that Tina Louise is the latest celebrity to have been given the role, which someone responds with, "She's still alive." My condolences definitely go out to Don Wells's family. So that just about does it for the news of this month. I will be back on February first to discuss any bit of entertainment news stories that I found interesting and/or important from January. Until then, let's hope 2021 proves to be a much better year than 2020. If you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com/carereviewspodcast and follow the simple instructions. Feel free to subscribe to wherever you get this podcast. If you'd like to find more content from me, please visit my website, which is www.carereviews.net. You can also find it on Twitter at carereviews and me at Jeffrey Care. Thanks for listening, and I will see you all later.